This is Life of an Architect, a podcast dedicated to all things architecture with a little bit of life thrown in for balance. So you're sitting at your desk, you've got your project up on the monitor and you're in the zone and crushing it. But what does that even look like? The process of preparing drawings has evolved from what do we need to do to what can't we do? In today's episode, we are going to talk about documenting architecture, best practices, and what is essentially creating the graphic instruction manual for constructing a building. Hi everyone, I'm Bob Borson. And I'm Andrew Hawkins. And today we're talking about drawings. And I couldn't be more excited to talk about drawings. <laughs> exactly, yeah. So much fun. If you're like me, you might be wondering, how does something like that even happen? Like, what's this going to look like? As we talk. As we talk about drawings. About a graphic medium. Yeah. Well, you know what? I can tell you, because based on the four pages of notes, it's going to be amazing. (laughs) Well, yeah, I agree. It's going to be incredible. It's going to be mind-blowing. One of the reasons we decided to make this a topic is because, and we'll get to it later in the episode, and one of the previous podcasts we talked about, which was architectural technology, had to do with, hey, with new drafting software, are we doing more than we should? Should we show something just because we can? You know, are we over-documenting? our projects, how are drawings changing over time? And we thought maybe this is something that we should dive into a little bit more deeply. Deserved a little bit of a deeper dive or a longer discussion about what that really means. And I'm here to tell you, I don't think that's unreasonable for a show on architecture. For sure. To talk about drawings. I know, right? Yeah. (laughs) This is kind of what we sort of do. Okay. So let's get into today's episode, which we've kind of broken down into four topics, four kind of main chunks. Which I thought, well, let's not say there's four chunks because we might have to cut one out. <laughs> I know. That's why I was like, so, well, if okay. we, so if you only hear us talk about three. three. <laughs> okay, so let's get into it. Yeah. This is topic one, purpose slash general information. <laughs> I like that you're just reading that verbatim. There you go. Come it's on. Just, here's what we have. So the main purpose of construction drawings, which some people will just refer to as plans or blueprints or working drawings. Do you have anybody called? I I don't have hardly anybody call them blueprints anymore, except for somebody that randomly calls me on the phone and says, do you do blueprints? You know, they want me to draw something for, you know, $100 and that kind of thing. Yes. So I put blueprints in here, not because anyone who knows still calls them blueprints, but people who don't know still call them blueprints. So that's what we're talking about. Blueprints are what we're talking about today. And they're not even blue anymore. They're not even blue anymore. Did you ever have to make blue ones? I did. I had a... You sit around getting high, running them through that machine? I don't know that I got high. I did get headaches. Oh, well, yeah. It wasn't like, you know, what I would imagine the fun... The fun part, yeah. ...of getting high would be like. But yeah, the chemical smell was fantastic. This was like, it stunk bad, bad. And it's always, I think, unilaterally, everyone who... Like, if you didn't work at a print shop, like where it was huge, Mm -hmm. like you just worked in some architectural office and you had to run prints... It's like in the smallest back room, no windows, poor ventilation. No ventilation. 100% yeah. of the time. That's how it was when I had, like when I first started and we were doing that. It was in an office building and it just run like a little plastic hose from the side where the ventilation's supposed to come out and it's just up to the ceiling. Great. Oh. If they would have ever lit a match in there while we were doing it, the whole building would have been. You wouldn't be here. Yeah, the whole building would have exploded. Yeah, that was probably better than what I had. I'm thinking like every now and then I would have to like wave my arms towards the door. <laughs> I mean, it was bad, but at the same time, it was a small office and maybe you're running six or seven sheets, sheets at yeah. a time. It wasn't like I'm in there for five hours. I'd be in there for 
20 minutes, 30 minutes. Uh, we had an office manager that would do that. When I first started, they would run 30 sets because they would be in charge of delivering sets. You know, should be back there for two days. I'm just like, you have one brain left by now because you just burnt them all. There was a guy at the place we went to when we did like real prints. His name was Junior and he was old, like Methuselah old. <laughs> I was like, wow, well, I bet, you know, back in your day. And he's like, I'm only 28. (laughs) (laughs) He's, I'm pretty sure he smoked a lot of cigarettes. Oh. Probably because he was dead in every, like in the nose and in the mouth, most likely in the brain, just dead from all the chemicals. From all the ammonia. Yes. All right. So back on to purpose slash general information on construction drawing. The purpose of construction drawings is quite literally just to show what is to be built. And we should also point out that most people who know this, but a lot of people may not, the construction drawing sets are really kind of broken down into a couple different parts. So it's not just the drawings. We also have the specification manuals, which is usually like a written book. And depending on the size and scale and complexity of the project, that could go from looking like a telephone book to looking like a glorified pamphlet. Mm -hmm. There's different levels of specifications, but the specs are what focus on materials and installation techniques and quality standards. How to put it in. What's the... This is our expectation for how you screw a screw into a wall. Well, and also this is our expectation for the screw that you're using to screw into the wall. Yes. This is the material that we want. On the drawings, it's a generic sheetrock, but in the specifications, it's called out as this type of fire rated X, whatever, blah, blah, blah. You know, and we should say up front that while I have some commercial experience, the vast majority of my experience is on the residential side of things. Mm -hmm. where your experience is overwhelmingly on the commercial side of things. And I would say, have you ever done a project that didn't have construction specs as part of your package? Yeah, but I mean, it's rare. been very few. If they're really small, sometimes we'll put them on the drawings, actually, because it's small enough that we can put three sheets, three full-size sheets that have specifications on them. Yeah, you just kind of, they're not three parts. They're just kind of performance specs. But yeah, for the most part, I don't ever do projects without. I bet in 25 years, I've done maybe 10 projects that had full three-part specs as part of it. I do that many in six months. I know it. That's crazy. So my history and most small type firms, especially residential firms, a lot of times they'll just put basic construction information in the drawings. And while they might use specs to elaborate on materials and techniques and standards, like you said, I might do a performance spec and put it in my drawings. Mm -hmm. It's not a separate book. Sometimes you'll find that information in both places. Like I've seen projects not mine, where they'll have a spec book and they'll have that kind of quality, quantity Mm -hmm. information in the drawings. And I'm always like, well, I'm not sure that's a good idea. I think you got to pick one or the other if you're going to do it. The other thing that we talked about was, and I don't know if we'll get into it much, but it's the idea that if there's a question between two drawings of the same piece of information, the larger the scale of the drawing kind of governs. A one inch equals a foot drawing would be considered more correct than a one quarter inch equals a foot drawing. Yes, right. Now, the more the more I've narrowed down on that detail, yes. then it's more correct and actually typically has more information. Yeah, and I think to that extent, we'd say that the specs generally override the plans, at least from a legal standpoint. I would agree. I mean, I know that because that's what I've heard. I haven't gotten knock on wood yeah. any legal issues when it comes to that kind of clarification, but yeah. But generally speaking, that's something that I think it's safe to assume. Well, in my specifications, there's actually a section that says that somewhere in the front. That if a conflict arises, the specifications override what's written on the drawings. I always think, if there's a conflict, ask a question. That's like what it should say. I know. <laughs> Don't say. It should. <laughs> it does say that too, but 
it sometimes it doesn't happen. That's amazing. The fun thing about specifications is that old story about the architect that puts in there somewhere about when the job starts, you have to supply the architect with a bottle of whiskey, blah, 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 just to see if they ever read it. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. You've never heard that? <laughs> no. Oh, yeah. Like, I can't remember. It was like one of those old, like, urban legend kind urban of legend. things. And it's like, yeah, I put it in the paint section or somewhere that they've got to supply me with a bottle of whiskey every time I show up at the job site. That's And see if funny. anybody actually ever reads it. If it ever comes up. You can imagine having, like, kickoff meeting, like, We'd like to take a moment, look at section 09220 and talk about this bottle of whiskey. Item seven. Like what's B. the quality level? You didn't indicate how many years it needs to be. Well, I think I would be very specific. I would be like French oak. <laughs> Happy Van Winkle, 15 year. That'd be hard to get your hands on. Hard to get your hands on. Yeah. That's their problem. It's in the specs. Yeah. <laughs> it's on the punch list at the end. That's right. You owe me 37 <laughs> bottles of Okay, so we should also probably spend a moment to discuss QAQC, quality assurance, quality control, and how the ever-evolving creation of digital drawings can actually present some challenges, which is kind of what we touched on in our previous podcast. And I'm talking about drawing too much and duplication of information and unnecessary redundancy in the drawings. You know, that's something that I don't know how that can not be a part of any conversation when you're talking about construction documents, because... There's a way the information is put together and organized so that, like generally speaking, you don't want to say the same piece of information more than once. Yes. That's a big part of it. There's a firm here locally in town, which was known for being like a really good white hair kind of firm. Like they were known for the quality of their construction documents. And they had two guys that kind of led the whole thing up. And they said, as we transitioned from ink on mylar, from actually hand drawing drawings to digital drawings, it was wild west for a while. People are having conversations about, well, what do we document? How is it different? And how do you change if all of a sudden you labeled paint five here and it's in 337 locations and you change it to paint nine? What if you don't find all the different mm -hmm. locations? Yeah. So they had a process where they're like, if you wanted a piece of detail, and this drove me crazy. Whenever you're looking at their sets, they're like, okay, here's a plan. And they would key a building section. So you just go to the building section, Mm -hmm. flip that page. Then from the building section, you'd see where a wall section was taken. Then you'd have to go to that wall section. And then from that wall section, they'd have a key detail in that wall section. Have to go to that wall. It took you like five minutes of flipping pages to get to this piece of information. Mm -hmm. And the level of information got more in depth and more detailed with every subsequent referral to another drawing that you got. Mm -hmm. And that was a big reason why that happened. Now with programs like Archicad and Revit and some of these, these modeling programs, you can do everything everywhere. And in my opinion, it's a lot of control. My experience from what I've seen, not in my own drawings, but to a certain extent, my own drawings, Mm -hmm. but other drawings that I see, because I kind of have this thing. I like looking at other people's sets of drawings, just see how they do it. Oh, yeah. If it's any different. Yeah, for sure. Love it. And I'll go, why do we have this drawing in here? Like, what does this do for me? What am I supposed to get from this piece of information? Mm -hmm. And I struggle with the idea that the drawings are not that easy to navigate, meaning you have to go through eight drawings to get to the piece of information you're looking for. If you really button it down and don't have a redundancy of information Mm -hmm. all the way to if it's really easy, like I used to do the, hey, if you were to cover your eyes and swirl your hand in the air and then drive it down your drawing, whatever you touched, would somebody know what it is that you're pointing to? Because there's information that says, hey, this thing that you're touching right now is blank. Like, would somebody know that? Mm-hmm. That was a big deal. I want to say, you're touching this thing. What is it? You don't know what it is. And they're like, well, yeah, I know I drew it. I know, of course, I know what it is. But I go, you didn't tell anybody what it is. Yeah. So now you're assuming that people just should know what something is. 
and I was part of the problem with creating a level of information that exceeded what was probably necessary. Yeah, and I think it gets to be the point of, it's an interesting exercise you talk about. It's just opening a drawing set and pointing at something to see, does that really tell me anything? Yeah. And I think that sometimes you can get into that. I was guilty of it as well, and I started to change that some. That it's just a gateway to another piece where there's actual useful information. Yeah. Even if you touch it and it goes, oh, you need to go here to look at something, even that. That would work. That would justify the, okay, somebody can find out what it is. But if it's just some lines on a page and there's nothing that says what it is or where to go to find out what it is. And so you're like, well, maybe there's an enlarged plane somewhere. Yeah. And that happened a lot more often when we were hand drawing stuff. There's a limit. There's a bandwidth amount of white space on a piece of paper. And I will say that what I've noticed, especially with the rampant adoption of BIM projects, the amount of white space I see on papers now in sets is profound. Oh, there's a lot, you mean? So much like unused paper a lot of blank space that drives me crazy maybe later when we start talking about there's some other questions i'd like to pick at you about how that works no i agree and i think there is a still a tendency to over document some things i got in an argument once with another architect in my office about documenting site of a wall section yeah with a window and without a window like what are your thoughts on that you know it's a good question because i don't have a canned answer for you because I would have thought, do the harder wall section. Do it through the window because then I'll have more places in a single wall section where I can key things. Mm -hmm. But then I had a boss that said, don't cut it through the window. Just have your standard head jam and sill details for your windows and draw the easier wall section. takes less time. still provides the information that you need. You have a window schedule that calls out those details. So why do you need to draw them? Interesting. Why are you spending the time on this? My preference is to have both. Because they provide different amounts of information. Even if the details are somewhat similar, they're still different. Yeah. But I don't know. And again, that's part of one of those things where it's so easy to cut this wall section and then move four feet where there's not a window and cut it again. And then it's there and there's a little bit of repetition. But at the same time, part of me is like, well, then I can really understand what's happening. You know, his argument was, well, you just need the one with the window because... That covers your foundation. Yeah, right. It's like does all that stuff. And I'm just like, well, yeah. yeah, Yeah, see, I tend to think more with that. I didn't even consider that the option would be to do both, mm. right? Because I go, well, why, why would you do both? Do one or the other. My default would be do the harder one, Yeah, right? Because if it's easy, you're expecting the contractor to have some knowledge about what they're doing. And I don't need to show them the easiest conditions on the site. I need to show them the hardest one, right? If I was not going to put two, I would definitely put the one with the window because there's just more information there and there's more construction instructions that we're talking about in that one than just Oh, here's a straight wall, and there's the veneer of whatever it is, and it's continuous. But I could probably line up a small army of 55-year-old-plus architects who would say, you cut the simpler wall section, and then you just call out for the details in the other locations in building sections or in your window schedule. Yeah. And I think that comes from the idea that when you're hand-drawing it... I was going to say, that's totally related to the, the medium or the process in which they made those things. Yeah. Well, another rabbit hole, not for today, is the idea of cartooning a set. Oh, yeah. You know, like actually figuring out what drawings are going to go on what page. And now they're like, I just take it on a page. Like, it doesn't matter. Whatever. And see, I don't believe that. I don't either. I I don't believe that at all. But there's there's a lot of evidence to suggest that that's the standard. I agree. Okay. So one of the important things about the documents that architects create is that they tell a story while providing the instructions that are clear and supposedly easy to follow. The goal is to cover enough of the combined documents to allow the construction team to build the project. That is... It's entry-level stuff. Mm -hmm. So again, that's why it's in general info. We're saying, here's the bar. 
the basics. You're doing drawings to tell a story about how to build a project. And so I would say how you organize that information needs to be clear and rational. And let's say, for example, if there's a spot in a building that's not represented, we would see this sometimes. Here's a really easy example most people should be able to visualize in their head. Let's say I'm doing a house or commercial building, whatever. And I have cardinal elevations. I have north, south, east, and west. Mm-hmm. But let's say on one of those, I have a porch that kind of cuts in. Well, you might not be able to see the east side of that porch because it's blocked by the west side of the porch in the overall elevation. east elevation. So you have to go in and you have to have a little partial elevation. Mm-hmm. Or it might show up only within a building section. So there might be areas that are not represented. And that stuff needs to exist somewhere. There needs to be a, a drawing that shows everything. Yeah, it shows what's happening there. Yes. So there you go. That's our introductory. This is what we're talking about. Organization of drawings, why they exist, what you need to show. So let's talk about that. What do you need to show? Which is our section two segment titled arrangements. (laughs) I'm not sure that's the best word. Maybe just organization. Yeah, maybe so. But it's the idea that if you're going to have a set of drawings, you could say, well, let's break it down into what you typically would have. Or I can do something crazy. This isn't for like a bathroom addition, or it's not for a re-roofing project. This is for a brand new building. So let's break down the drawing set into sections, all right? Sure. If you had to take a guess, what comes first? The cover page. That's exactly right. You want a car. Yes, I wish. So the cover page. And we could probably say like what kind of thing goes on the cover page, but it varies so wildly. Yeah, it's so different. That always intrigues me as well. Just looking at the front sheet of someone else's documents Yeah. to see like uh, what's here, what's not. And you normally kind of goes into one of two extremes. You don't really see anyone kind of down the middle. You're either one of these people that says, here's my cover page. And what it's got is who are the main players on the project? It's got title block information. You know, that actually says things like where the project is, like what codes, address, that that kind kind of stuff. stuff. And then like a big, terribly black and white made grayscale photo of some sexy view of the project. Yeah. That's at one end. And the other one, they will, here's the site map. Here, I mean, they yeah, will, they'll load it with information. Yeah, that, it's almost like there's schedules. Like here's a sheet index that's in mm-hmm. here that's on the cover page. I mean, it is a contributing page, not just a protector sheet. Yeah. So I don't really have strong opinions on either one, quite honestly. I tend to like having the, the little rendering on the front. Yeah. I kind of like that. Yeah. When I first started working, it was an actual informational page. And then as I've started to make those things my own, it's more now of a protector sheet. Yeah. There's some information, but it's very minimal. It, here's the owner. Here's the client. Here's the architect. Here's the engineers. Here's the da-da-da-da. There's a little bit of project information. That's the title block set. Then there's a 3D image, and that's it. And depending on what information, your 3D image is either bigger or smaller. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Okay, so but once you get past that kind of protector sheet, which I'm going to say protector sheet, sure. we start to have things like index and schedules and legends. Now, since I've worked in a wide variety of different companies Mm -hmm. that did a wide variety of different type of projects, I've run across this section handled wildly different. I'm sure. Sometimes what you get, say Boca Power, I'm at now, right at the front, lots of legends, lots of schedules. I mean, there's a lot of data right in the very front. It's where all that stuff is kind of kept. But when I did interior design work for hospitality work, those things would tend to live right before the section where they would exist. So if we did a furniture plan or lighting plan, the furniture schedules and stuff were in that section. Yeah, they would be in that section. Maybe we'll get in a little bit more. That's partly because the scope of those was by area. Because mm-hmm. you'd walk in and the sheets would be pinned up on the wall for this area. So they 
Oh, I got so you. Yeah, for like for this room or this space, here's the sheets for it. And that's right. It's like, and you organize the information specifically for like a space, not here's all the elevation, here are all the plans, and here's all the, it's like, mm-hmm. here's all the plans, elevations, da, 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 for this space. Here's the information for this room. Here's the yeah. information for this room, yeah. area, whatever. It could be a bar, it could be a restaurant, all this different kind of stuff. Interesting. And that includes something, this is definitely a commercial thing, life safety and ADA. Yeah. Now, I will say that I really like a well-done life safety page. Yeah. I mean, they graphically, they look interesting. I mean, there's there's, yeah, a, there's all kinds of stuff there. Yeah. And it's like, they look like they're like, here's a green section for this type of two-hour surround. And this is the occupancy rate for this. And here's the, as the soldier walks to get to the egress and it's 73 feet. And mm-hmm. They can be done really, really well. What I don't like are ADA sheets. Yeah. It's a boilerplate thing, though. It's garbage. It's a CYA thing. It's a it's in the drawings thing. I mean, that's why it's there. You know, there there's legal evidence to suggest, like if you sign a contract that, say you're going to go run a, get a phone from fill-in-the-blank mm-hmm. large phone provider, and they give you 3,000-page document that says, oh, that's what it says, blah, blah, blah. And you just mm-hmm. kind of sign it and move on. The idea is that there's a problem and you come after them. They're like, oh, well, it's in the document. You, you signed this contract. There's legal evidence to support that those contracts can be getting rid of. Don't hold water. Yeah, because yeah. they know. They're like, no one reads this. Like, we know that nobody reads this. Therefore, it doesn't really have the value to protect people the way that you know, these entities tend to think they are. By that same extension, I go, how do 88 pages not be the same? Like, oh, we told you this mirror can be more than this high off the ground in this one drawing. But in this elevation, we drew it. I, I just don't like them. I think they're garbage. Well, that's one of those things for me. I try not to replicate information. So in your example, there's a mirror. I don't have that mirror height in the front ADA page. That mirror height is in the interior elevations where it belongs. And now there may be a schedule that we have in there that says, here's how tall the mirror is supposed to be for ADA, but it's not in the front part. So we've pulled some of that stuff out. And see, that would make you a little different because normally what I see when I do see these, and I'm guilty of it for sure, Mm -hmm. and it will be every kind of touch the hot spot ADA standard and it used to be, hey, let's put it in there so that somebody didn't have to like go on the internet and try to track something down to figure out what something sure. may or may not be. Like, if I don't dimension how high my toilet paper hangers are off the floor, well, here's this five pages of ADA standards stuff. where that stuff's all there. Yeah. What I see a lot of the times is that those sheets are never curated or edited for the project they're in. So you might have a tub with a bench that's part of it as part of your ADA sheet, mm-hmm. and you're doing a project where there are no tubs. You know what I mean? Again, mine is standardized. I don't curate it. It was just, it's originally curated. From the beginning when we made it, it's stuff that we don't normally represent anywhere else. So it's things like hallway widths and weird things like that and double entries and some site-related stuff that we may or may not, typically we don't show somewhere. We could use this particular thing as the case study for this entire conversation. Oh, yeah, for sure. How different it is and everybody does it differently. Yeah, and how it doesn't really provide any value and it's just there to exist, to cover your ass, you know, and nobody, we know that nobody looks at it and it doesn't do you any good, even if you showed it and didn't do something wrong later that you're not protected by this. Yeah. Uh, I go, so where's the value? Why is it in there? Standard practice, I guess, seems to be the thing. Drives me crazy. Yeah, I agree. But I've condensed it where it's like two sheets and uh, just, okay, fine. We just move on. All right. So speaking of moving on. So then we have plans. Although, let me go back. Not to the okay. ADA thing, but schedules. And I have legends and stuff in the front, but I don't put any of my schedules in the front. Like where would your door schedule go? Um, In the back. Like in the very back? Yeah. Like an appendix? No. 
there's a section. I think we'll get into it later, but National CAD Standards has those things where they're supposed to go, and we sort of follow that a little bit. Where they're supposed to go, it says who? The National CAD Standards. And they are? I don't know. Yeah. The, those people. Mm-hmm. Anyway. They're like the wizard behind the curtain. We're going to say the schedules go in well, seven. it's no different than the code people, because who makes that up? The code people. So, all right. But no, I don't put them in the front. So, like, door schedules and window schedules and all that stuff? No, they're not in the front. They're in the back. Interesting. Like, in the back of my work. Not in the back of the full set. Sure, back of the architectural drawings. Yeah. All right, fair enough. We'll see. Huh? I don't mean, like, we'll see, like, we're going to fight later. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there might be people that go, yeah, Andrew's 100% on that. We'll see. I, yeah, just, I don't know. I have I don't no know. idea. Because that whole National CAD standards, whatever, I've never even heard of them before. I was like, I purposely, they're like, oh, here's the standards. I was like, well, no, I'm not doing that. <laughs> I do what I want. I know. Which is common for this whole discussion we're going to have. Every architect probably says that. That's not entirely true because I think the way that I was taught, I didn't go out on an island and say, <laughs> and make up everything. Yeah, I This know. is all like the way that, has been distilled down through 15 different jobs that I've had. And there's been a lot of similarities between them. Very few have deviated wildly from the position that I will advocate on behalf of as the traditionally small firm, small drawing size. Set. That's fine. Right. So we're just going to add it because we're never going to make it. No, I know. Okay. So if I go through plans, we have things like site plans and grading plans and floor plans and roof plans and reflected ceiling plans, which always kind of cracks me up. You know, the idea that a reflected ceiling plan is really as if you're looking down at the floor at a mirror reflecting what's on the ceiling, which is why it's called a reflected ceiling plan. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, it would be backwards. If you just like laid down on the ground and looked up at the ceiling, mm -hmm. you have a different vantage point. So your plan would be opposite from if you looked at it as if you're floating above looking at the plan. Yes. Right? So that's why it's reflected. Reflected. Just a little information for you. That's what we do here in Life of an Architect. <laughs> Explain the unexplainable. Yeah. People go like, oh, why is it called a reflected ceiling plan? That is why. Just so it matches everything else. Because otherwise, right. yeah, it would be backwards. That's right. So I'm sure they're just like, well, let's just do it this way. And they're like, but that defies gravity, you know, or whatever. <laughs> and someone goes, how can we describe it? I know. We'll call it reflected. reflected. <laughs> that's how we'll get around that one. Yeah. So in the small project set. I will say that generally speaking, my history has said that after I do my plans, that I would end up going to exterior elevator. It's kind of like we we look at the overall like we at plans, and then we start going from the outside in. So we'll go from exterior elevations, and then we start cutting building sections, which are keyed on those exterior elevations. And then from the building sections, we would then move on to wall sections. Wall sections. Then from wall sections, you think details are next, but you'd be wrong. They're not next. We actually move inside the building and we start looking at interior elevations because they start to show up in building sections to mm -hmm. a certain extent. So interior elevations. Then we go to enlarged plans. Like this is when we start deviating from mass scale. For instance, I think we have notes on this under standards about how big should drawings end up being. Yeah. In scale and sheet paper size, they all figure into this. Sure. And I would say... Very rarely in my career since I started using 30 by 42 size sheets of paper, E size, if I remember correctly, mm -hmm. would I have to put a split line in to a plan in order to show it at a quarter inch scale? That's typically not the case on any of the commercial projects. Commercial project, our plans are almost always one eighth of an inch. Oh, yeah. Almost entirely one eighth of an inch. But the other difference is on my commercial projects, I tend to have more plans because I have more isolated data I'm trying to show. So I might have like on my floor plan, I would have dimensions and partition tags and window types. And 
on residential projects, you don't have low voltage plans and especially electrical plans. And I mean, it's kind of everything's on one sheet. Mm -hmm. So that's why the scale tends to be bigger, I think, because we have more information on them. I would agree. And at an eighth inch scale, I can't. You can't do that. I can't show it. And I mean, I know I made comments in here, but I agree that the reason a quarter inch works for a residential scale project is because you can get more information on a single drawing. Yeah. But commercial stuff, there's actually too much information that you can't even start to do that. You have to start to break it up. Yeah. Into different floor plans to be able to provide. This floor plan is only for this information. This floor plan is only for this information. Yes. Right. Just like get as much as you can on there. Fill up. You got space there. Put a drawing there. So then from large plans, then we would go to details. Mm -hmm. The last couple pages in our set are just as many details as we can possibly throw at a project. I mean, there could be a billion of them. I mean, a lot of them. Yeah. And there's different scales and sizes and they have reasons why you want to get into it. And like the cabin. And I might end up using the cabin as a good, because it was a really tidy set. We were doing a project type that nobody in that part of the world had any idea how to build because it wasn't a log cabin. And I don't mean that in a, like I'm looking down my nose. Yeah, sort but of just way. it's not, it was atypical. That's not what they do. And this owner was very particular. They're like, we chose this contractor because they're the only game in town. And what we're asking them to build, they don't build. So they wanted us to literally draw everything. everything. So from that standpoint, it's a great looking set. I mean, we have flashing details like crazy. Mm -hmm. Normally you'd say, as per manufacturers, we'd say, I don't need to tell you how to do a J-clip at the end of your roof overhang. Like we would do specialty stuff, something that's like not normal if I wanted to handle it differently. Mm -hmm. But I wouldn't call out all the specialty or the non-specialty, the standard flashing pieces, stuff that you buy from the manufacturer. manufacturers. We wouldn't detail those. In this set, we did. So it's a little bit different. But to me, I go, so that's kind of the bundle of a typical residential architectural set. Mm -hmm. Because I know, and we have it down in here, that there's other things that go into an architectural set that might be information that's generated by a consultant that gets put into our set. Yeah. Or they might have their own drawings that get incorporated into the entire set, which you put some notes in here, like say civil, for instance. Mm -hmm. It's a great example. Landscaping architect. Sure. We have structural engineer on every single residential project I ever did. We wouldn't do a project without a structural engineer, but we never used MEP unless it was like the biggest, grandest, most spectacular, complicated residential house ever. They were all design build. We would coordinate them, you know, and they would generate drawings. Mm-hmm. But we didn't hire an MEP firm to do riser You were just using the contractor that was coordinating those things. And you'd be like, oh, okay, that's what we're going to do. Yeah. Like at the start of the project when it starts construction and they work from there. Yeah. And, you know, and it's interesting because I think the skill set ends up like there are things that I'm good at that a lot of architects I don't think are really all that good at. Because since I did so much high end residential, mm -hmm. I had to solve HVAC problems during the design process without having an MEP engineer. Because mm -hmm. I don't want soffits and fur downs all over the place. So, you know, I have a decalator. I know how to calculate deck sizes. Yeah. I mean, I did all that stuff. I knew how much tonnage I need to put in. I'd know where I want to have it and what kind of returns, my fresh air intake and makeup. And I yeah, see, I know that stuff, but I don't know a lot about it. I've done that on a few projects. Yeah. But not, not as a standard. That was the norm for us. But a commercial job? No way am I doing that. They're way more complicated, way mm -hmm. harder. I mean, it's got the same pieces, but there's more pieces. Yeah, and it's different systems and it's a whole other ball of wax. So let's talk about some of the consultant drawings that would go into the set. 
I've already mentioned a couple of them. So we have like existing survey information as mm-hmm. part of it that ends up kind of being an introductory piece. Do you normally do that on residential projects? Probably not. Do you even have surveys done? Yeah. Well, you have to. Just like in commercial work, you have to do boundary surveys and lot surveys and formwork surveys, and you have to do all the same kind of thing. Um, I'm sure that depends on your ju- jurisdiction, but... Every jurisdiction I've worked in has really? required those. Interesting. That's pretty normal. Like maybe if I worked in unincorporated territories out in the middle of nowhere, yeah, probably not. But I mean, like the foundation surveys and things like that, that's interesting. That's pretty normal stuff. And then we have civil, residential... I can't think of a time I've ever used civil yeah, I mean, unless it was a really complicated thing, I would imagine, like a cliff or a hillside deal that was extreme. Maybe. Even then, maybe I'm not. I'm like, probably not. Really? Interesting. So, so I'm pretty good with a lot of the civil stuff too. But again, there's a scale to my skill set. The nice thing about it is I'm really good at asking the right kind of questions now because I know kind of how that path works. Of course, that's going to be in every commercial set. Mm-hmm. We already talked about the architectural set, at least in terms of kind of stuff that might go into it. Sure. And then we have structural drawings, which... So in your residential sets, did you have structural drawings from someone else? Oh, every single time. Okay. So I mean, you get their foundation plan and if they had special framing details and those kind of things. Yeah. So here's what's interesting. So there are different levels of structural engineering firms that actually would work on residential projects. Mm -hmm. One of them, what all they'll do is they'll do foundation drawings and then call out boilerplate framing notes. Mm -hmm. And that's fine if if you're doing these spec builder homes that they just roll out by the billions. Mm -hmm. The houses we did, I mean, I have steel all over the place and flying steel to wood connections. and Flying buttresses. I have flying buttresses. (laughs) I was going to make that joke, but then I went, I don't know if I'm going to make that joke. Yeah, I got you. But you, you brought it home. They're a lot more complicated. Sure. So structural engineers on those jobs, we needed real ones. And mm-hmm. we needed good ones. You know, I don't know if the people who listen to this, you can pay attention to some of the stuff that I throw out there regarding structural engineers, but I tend to make fun of them a lot as not being very good. Yeah. And that's next. I don't think they're very good. I do think they're good, but they're not very creative. At least the ones that the good ones that I work with, like they go into it with the, this will never fail. That's what their goal is. The 50% over design. Yeah. Oh, God. If I was only getting 50% over design, I'd be happy. This is like, you could put a pendulum and balance the moon off of this cantilever I'm doing. I'm like, I don't need to balance the moon. So I bet that I designed the structural layout in most of the residential projects because they would come up and do something terrible. And I go, I'm not doing that. I'm not putting a post there. And they're like, well, that's where it wants to be. And I go, well, that's not architecturally where I want it to be. No, that's not where it wants to be. That's where you want it to be, but no. Yeah, so I'd say, we're going to do this and this and this. You're going to do that, and you're going to connect it here, and we're going to do a plate here and stiffener there, blah, 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 blah. And then they go, okay, and they just draw. Mm-hmm. So it takes a certain kind of structure engineer to at least be willing to work with the kind of madness that I might be throwing out at them. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, a lot of them just not that creative. Sorry, structural engineers. You're good at what you do, but you're not as good at what I do, which is part of the disconnect between... What I typically need them to do is to do my job, but structurally. I managed to find a structural engineer that was somewhat creative once I found them. And we worked well together to be able to make solutions together as opposed to like, yeah, here's a post. It has to go here. And I'm like, that's not the right spot. Yeah. I was lucky enough, but it's like one. I will say this because I'm going to get dogpiled. I guess to a certain extent, maybe I should. But mostly this is coming from the structural engineers who would take on residential projects are really the guys I'm talking about. There are some structural engineers that I'm working at now. They're really good. I'm yeah. like, why didn't we work with you guys? You're way better. Because <laughs> they don't want to. They don't want to do residential work. They don't want to do residential work, even if it's like really 
I go, hey, high end. Yet yeah. Still. I go, I'm spending $1,400 a square foot. I mean, I can do whatever structural system you want. They're like, well, you want to mess with that. Yeah. So that's a big part of it. Maybe the really good ones that are not interested in doing residential projects. Could be. Because there's not a lot of people that get to do the really fun stuff. If you're going to do residential, the bulk of it's going to be slab on grade, structural slabs, post-tension slab on void cartons or whatever. And they're like, it's super boring. And then MEP. And there's funny notes in here because it's like... Because I was thinking about this, because sometimes... That's why I put it in there, because it's always different. It's always different. MEP, MPE, EPM, yep. MPE. And I go, everyone I know calls it MEP. Yes. MEP. But I bet at least half the time, that's not the order that the drawings are in. And I hate it. <laughs> I know. It like, I feel like there's like death chewing on a cracker ranging my sets here. And I go, can you not? MEP. M, then the E, then come P. Yeah. And that's how I do it, but MEP. there's no rationale for it, though. It's actually backwards. Well, it didn't Because you... the rationale that I put that people have is they try to put it in order of installation, which is not MEP. It's actually probably backwards PEM or EPM because the plumbing is first, is first yep. underground and all that. And there's some electrical that's underground. And then those come out and you top out. And mechanical is actually like the last thing that ever yep. goes in. So they order it that way. But it drives me nuts because it's not MEP. It should be PEM. And you know what? Yeah. Can we just all, hey, everyone who's listening, <laughs> can we just all agree? Let's just start calling them PEM. The other term I hear, MP and E, mm. which is not, I mean, it just doesn't come off. MEP, man, it just pops off really easy. That sounds like a singing group, like Tony Orlando and Dawn. <laughs> Welcome to the stage, MP and E. <sighs> that one always gets sort of mixed up. And I can see. The rationale behind like doing it is in order of installation, which would change the way it is, which would be PEM. And you know what? That makes perfect sense to me. I'm on board. Let's start a movement today. I can't agree to that because it's MEP. <laughs> I, I, I can change it. I can change it. My, I'm fluid in my brain right, in that well. way. I just don't want it to be EPM the next time. EPMD. I just, oh. yeah. <laughs> yeah. We don't want that. So, and then there's, of course, there's the specialty drawings. I kind of say those to last because... At least in my experience, those always are. You know what we didn't put? Landscape architect. Yeah. That's, normally my set, it's civil landscape architect. That's how it is for Architectural. Me too. And then structural. And then MEP or PEM or MEPPM, MMEPMFSD. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then you've got specially drawing. Yeah. Which, for the most part, I rarely ever had. But when I did have them, they were always like low voltage, audio, visual, security kind of stuff. You know, data cabling. Yeah. I mean, I have, I have a kitchen drawings and I've got acoustical drawings and I've got things like that that happen later in the end. It's in the back. Yeah. And then at that point, I, you know, I don't care. <laughs> right? I mean, I really no, don't. I know. Yeah. The order because, is whatever. Because you know what? You. The guy who wants any of those specialty drawings, nine times out of 10 or 99 times out of 100, they don't care about all the other sheets that... They're going to get broken out and get sent the four pages I they know, need. Which is unfortunate, but yes, that happens. It is unfortunate now since that. everything's available all the I time. Hate that. It causes more problems than anything else. I know. Topic three standards. Standards. Which is really the bulk of what today's conversation should be on, but time is not our friend not our today. Friend, yeah. So, although not really, because you say that you don't like standards. No, I love standards. You're like, forget I, the standards. I like my standards. <laughs> <laughs> that it's not a standard it is a standard it's got to be more because no. i make everybody do it that way <laughs> i'm joking around but that that's actually true oh i'm not doubting that's true well first off because i worked in small places i know that's I'm a curious how it's it. working for you now nobody cares what i think now <laughs> <laughs> well because i'm not on that that's not my thing i got you if they ask my opinion 
I will pull out a soapbox and clear my throat and start telling them what for. Start rearranging sheets. That's not true. Because now everything's a little bit different and there's logic that I will concede that I don't know everything, right? I haven't been around this particular block so many times that I have such confidence in my flawless logic to challenge somebody who's been doing this for a while already. I go, "Eh, I need to do a lap or two around the building first. And then I can. And then I'll change everything. (laughs) (laughs) And then I'll apply my. No, that's not really true. But I, I will say that every job I had, except for a large firm. I changed the standards every single place. Mm -hmm. And I think the reason why I changed them is because I just cared more than anybody else. Like nobody fought me on it. I just came in and said, I think we should do this differently. And this is what we should do. And they went, okay. Like it wasn't, it wasn't a fight. They didn't care enough. Yeah, it wasn't a fight. They're like, this guy clearly cares. And really the standards had as much to do with like how the drawings look. Probably more so how the drawings look than how they were organized. Like Mm -hmm. I didn't reinvent the wheel for how things were organized, but like, for instance, I worked at RTKL, which is now CRTKL, I think, even though they might go by Calliston RT. I don't know what they go by. I worked for another firm <laughs> for a while, and they numbered all their drawings in a very particular way. And this is 100% based on the digital aspect of how you would save drawings and create a naming standard that everybody can understand. Mm-hmm. And basically, they just took a grid, their drawing, and they're like, okay. Here's drawing one, two, three, four, and they numbered it bottom right to upper left, right? So I know what you hate. Yeah. What you hate that. That's just what they did. I know. And what would happen is when your drawing filled up all of box one, that the name of that drawing digitally was 01, the page number. Like it might be 01A304, whatever it is. So if you're in this massive set and you're like, I want to get into that drawing, you knew you had to just go find the file that was 02A304. 365, whatever it is. Oh, okay. That's how you would find it. And that governed how they arranged all their sheets. Like, so if I had an, a blobulous shape and I stuck it on there, whatever box it ate up, like it ate up entire boxes. Yeah, four right? boxes or whatever. Yeah, yeah, then it would always be the left bottommost blob Box. of boxes, right? So you might have, you wouldn't have, so if I had five drawings on a sheet and they all had weird shapes to them, they weren't drawings one, two, three, four, five. They might be drawings one, four, Six, seven, eleven, whatever box mm. they took up in the left hand oh corner. That's how they numbered them. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Now there was one nice thing about it. When you saw drawing twelve A five oh five, you knew where that went on the page. You knew where on the sheet that was. It gave this level of logic that if all of a sudden there wasn't something there, like you knew that there was a problem. Yeah, I think that works really well for them, but not for I don't know that they still do it. That's just what they did when I worked there a long time ago. Which is probably because that was all based on X references and all kinds of things like that. hundred percent. Like, Absolutely. I doubt they do it that way now. Yeah. Everything. Cause I'm sure it's different. Everything constantly changed. So they changed how that happened. But generally speaking, every place I went, I changed how the set was organized based on this kind of amalgamated, how I was impacted through every office. Yeah, taking the in. best parts of all the stuff and molding it together. And sure. what made sense. And you know, and the truth is, is when I went to go work for, the firm that was two jobs ago, I went in there with like, this is how we're going to do it. It made all their heads explode. Like this is way more complicated than we as it It was my first residential job. Like when all we did was primarily residential work Mm -hmm. and we were on AutoCAD and I was like, we're going to X reference. So we're going to have like plan folders and we're going to have elevation folders. And they're like, we just stick everything in one file. If you open up this file, it's all there. It's all there. And I was like, okay, first off I fought that. Right out of the gate. 
Yeah, that's terrible. And everyone was going to kill me. I said, okay, let's break it into scale drawings. So let's do plans in one drawing and we'll do exterior elevations. So we started to have plan drawings and elevation drawings and interior elevation drawings. And so we started to break it down a little bit more Mm -hmm. so that it wasn't one person had dominion over every drawing that existed for this project. Mm -hmm. But that was a challenge in a firm of eight people was to get them to change that. But once they agreed, because really I just, I wouldn't stop. I just would not stop. No, no. They acquiesced. And then later they're like, oh my God, Bob, you're amazing. Hmm. This is the greatest thing. Yeah. What you did for us here. <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> they didn't I'm say sure. any of those things. I'm sure. Yeah. I'm always surprised, at least I was back then when, when I was doing a lot of CAD stuff, that people did not utilize X references the way that they should. Right. I only had one plan drawing. I had one plan file for all my projects. Yeah. And it had everything on it. I would just turn off, turn on layers or whatever. You'd X-ray it into the sheet. And it's like, all right, here it is. That way you're not changing things in a hundred different spots and you don't miss stuff. Well, I think it's that logic, which is why I never did it the way the National CAD standard people did it. Because the level of what they codified and how things should be named and blah, blah, blah was so overkill for every firm basically that I've ever worked at with the exception of one or two. It was like, ignore that. I want to spend three hours of my day making sure that it's a five number sequence and the first number is this and the second two numbers is that and it's just a waste of time. But one of the things I did but do, that's how I'd... we put in like layers, you know, we, I say we, it was me. Mm. We put in layer standards. This is what everything should be named. Mm-hmm. And I'm telling you in the AutoCAD days, if you're an AutoCAD person, the way I did it, slate it. Once you understood it, it was like so easy and it was all based on shortcut keys too. Because I was like, I'm not clicking buttons. I'm too fast for that. I can't be bothered with clicking buttons. Oh, yeah. I never used the toolbar in CAD. Yeah. You would just shortcut key the whole thing and just be typing like crazy. I think that's all because you learned that way, too. When I started learning AutoCAD, there wasn't a toolbar button thing. You had to do it by hand. There wasn't as many toolbar buttons. Like, so we had keywords for what levels would be on in a plan drawing or an RCP drawing. Or it's like it had the word site. So if I wanted to just like turn on just a site. I would say dash LA asterisk site and it would turn on all the site, site layers, layers. Yeah. Just like flipping a switch mm-hmm. and it made it really, really easy. And then of course we just drafted by pen weight for everything. It wasn't in a plan view. So we had light meme, heavy, dark profile. Mm. So when you're drawing details, there was no intelligence to them. This was AutoCAD. You just wanted to draw it for clarity. Like I still remember layers 07, 08, 09. And I had a profile and I had a hatch. And they all started with X. X was, you know, pen weight layers. That's funny. Worked out great. And no one ever complained. And years after I left, they all kept it. I know the places I left where I put in place, they're still there. But again, that may just because nobody cares enough to change it. You think somebody else after I left in the years and years since <laughs> I left that I'm not, no, I I'm loved, not that unique. I loved my AutoCAD setup. Everything was so great. I mean, it was based a little bit more on the national CAD standards, but it was still really well organized and easy to do all that kind of stuff. I was really proficient at it as well. Yeah. I was like a wizard in AutoCAD. Now I can't even open up files, print them. (laughs) I know. Kind of hate it. That'll change though. Okay. So let's talk about economy of scale, right? Which we've kind of been touching on a little bit through this entire conversation because we're kind of doing like a a commercial versus residential. In a way. It's It's a comparison or a contrast. I don't, I never can decide which one it is. It's not a, this is better than no, it's just a different way to different. do things. So I will say one of the things that's always been wildly different, and I attribute this to the size of the projects, like partition types. Mm-hmm. On a commercial project, 
it's like they have 5,000. Yes. And on, I think that if I have 10 in a residential job. That's a lot. That's a lot. Because normally I don't have but three major exterior materials, Mm -hmm. you know, and then the only thing that kind of throws it off, you're like, well, this is a two by four wall versus a two by six wall is a different partition type. Yeah. But I don't have any that go four inches above ceiling or go to deck or, you know, there's like these ones have acoustic treatment properties on it. This one has, I mean, you can really go down when I was still doing the architecture graphics series. I did one on wall types. And it was really when we were getting into Revit and I saw a set of drawings come across my desk and they had like a partition type and it said like partition type 05. And then it had another partition tag on it that said B3 or something. I was like, oh, what, what is that? Mm-hmm. And they're like, well, it's this, but we modified it to include cement board on this side. So it's additive. So we, I was like, no, 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 no. <laughs> we're not doing that. And then they tried to come at me with, well, that's how Revit is and blah, 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 blah. That's just lazy, but yeah. And you know what? These were not lazy people. The guy that did this, that I had the argument with about that. Yeah. I couldn't defeat him because he's smarter than me. <laughs> but he doesn't know everything. He just has a profound level of logic that he provides to everything. Sure. If you don't get to the same finish line that he got with his logic, you literally could see him like short circuiting. <laughs> that's funny. And it's not worth it. It's yeah. not worth it. I probably ought to put a link to that just because it's a really interesting... And a lot of people commented on how you do this. Like, how would you set that up normally? What would be the benefits of doing one way versus another? But if you're doing door schedules or partition types or finish schedules, the number of entries in those areas, wildly different. Sure. I will say that one of the things that's always bugged me has to do with like legends, say a finish schedule. Mm -hmm. If I was going to say ST4, what would you think that would, what would that abbreviation count for on a finish schedule? ST? Mm Mm-hmm. I have no idea. Wrong. I know. You can guess. Come on. I'm trying to think. ST4. They'll go like steel four. No, I know. Or they'll go stone or seating. I was like, you know what, guys? You know how legends work? Whatever thing is, it equals another thing. It's that simple. So if I say pickle, it doesn't have to be a pickle. It can be whatever I want it to be. You're saying this equals that. Doesn't matter what it is. That's what I'm saying what it is. Because we would get in this argument between... What makes sense for material finish? Reason why I bring that up is because I was looking at the finish schedule my last job, and they would have wall finishes. And I go, "What's a wall finish? It's just a finish. It just happens to be on the wall." So what if I have paint? I have paint. It's white. Let's just say it's literally called white, white paint. paint. Yeah. I go, "Is it a ceiling finish or a wall finish? It's just paint. So why can't I say it's PT one?" And it goes on the wall or it goes on the ceiling. You don't have to create a new tag mm-hmm. for wall finish. Sure. Five, which is paint white versus a ceiling tag, which is white paint. And I go, do you guys understand the words that are coming out of my mouth? Yeah. And it literally shut everybody down. Well, that's funny. I hate it. To me, it. that seems to make sense. Of course it makes sense. On our schedules, it's not. It's like CRT one, CRT two, CRT three. It doesn't matter if it goes on the floor, goes on the wall or whatever. And it's. PA1, PA2 for paint. You do PA for paint? Uh, yeah, or PP. It depends. Not PT. We always did PT. And you know, and I got all those from when I worked for that interiors firm. We're like, Uh-oh. our yeah. material finish legends were like, okay, we would have, say, light fixtures. Good, another good example. Mm-hmm. We would say, here's fixture type A and B and C and D and E. And you're like, AA, BB, CC, DD. I mean, a lot of different light fixtures. Sure. And so their finished materials, they would say, ST for them 
might be stain. Oh, okay. And so what you would do is you'd say ST is stain box brown. Sure. So you would say wood WD1 maple with ST5. Mm-hmm. So you just say WD ST. You would have like more than one finish called out. You wouldn't come up with one unique that was a combination of that wood and that stain. Oh, I got you. Into yeah, its sure. You say, here are my five woods. Here are my five stains. And whenever I use any one of the woods with any one of these stains, I'd say this wood with that stain. There it is. Because otherwise, you have like five factorial of different. You could have this wood with all of these five stains. And you're going to come up with, that's 25 different tags as opposed to just 10. Yeah. So it's I got not you. actually five factorial. But you know what I mean? Yeah, no, I understand. I understand, but it blows my mind that you wouldn't just do it that way. That you would think of it differently than the way we're saying is the correct way to do it. I know, but that's exactly. <laughs> but yeah, we even don't have a stain. It's a paint. Like it's a P whatever application. It just happens to be stained because it's the same contractor. It's the same application. It's just a different material. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I mean like. But that goes back to it could be pickle. It could be, it could be whatever you want it to be. And it's in the same spec. For me, that's why. Because it's in the paint specifications where we specify stains. So it's a you know, PA yeah, or PBA. That's a fair point. But I can't even imagine doing all that different stuff. Now, so let's get into, because someone's going to bring it up if we don't talk about it a little bit. I can't talk about it other than say, and here's Andrew. <laughs> and that you hate them. You think they're dumb. I don't hate them. I don't think they're dumb. Until I started doing my exhaustive research that I do <laughs> for these episodes. Sure. I didn't even know there was such a thing as the United States National CAD Standard, the USNCS. Yes. I thought that was just a show that aired with Mark Harmon on Thursdays <laughs> on NBC. That's funny. Yeah, they've been around for a while, too, actually. And it's like a giant book that tells you how to do everything. I mean, I looked everything. At it. I looked at it and I went, oh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, and the biggest reason that I found out about it, actually, because, I mean, I was like you, Wild West, and, it, and then... We got a couple of jobs where they require you to do everything in this format. And that's like, yes. And you insane. did insane. You added those notes and I went, that makes perfect sense. Because in most of it's like state work, government work, federal jobs, I'm pretty certain like all federal jobs, you have to follow that standard. Yeah. And it's, I mean, they've got all the symbols. They've got how everything is named and abbreviated and all of those things. Right. I hate everything you're saying right now. <laughs> I literally, but it's all there. And then they also have CAD layering standards where they have yep. all the layers are named exactly this way. And it, I mean, to me, it's very logical. And I followed that some when I, when I first started setting those things up. So like my CAD files have got from back in the day, I have 250 something layers. That's just crazy. It's unnecessary. No, it's not. It's fine. So everything's got a layer that's a material or a whatever, and I can figure out what it is. Yeah. But does that even exist now with Revit? Yeah. But it's much more complicated to actually fix. But yes, you can go in and you can apply the national CAD standards to your Revit model because, you know, you'll export CAD files out to send to somebody or if you have to. Would you still have 256 stupid Yeah, you'd layers? have a, a billion. Yeah. <laughs> I'm here to say I don't agree with that. But it helps. I liked it because if I clicked on a line in AutoCAD, it would tell me what it was. I would be able to look at that and know, oh, that's a sheetrock or it's fire-rated sheetrock or it's, this is this electrical line. I could click on a line. And it would tell me what it was in every instance, whether it was elevation, section. No, I get the logic and I appreciate it. I go, yeah, it makes sense. Why it's a beating to set up. But you know what? I still hate everything about it. <laughs> you know, I just, what that means is I won't do it. I will, uh-huh. not, I will not do that work because well, I just can't. I just can't. Yeah. It's like, I need to, can we pause? <laughs> You're just, oh. 
It's and just, then it, even talking about it, it's exhausting me. You're killing me. And then also they have a sheet arrangement, the way the drawing sets are put together and sheet naming standards. I read that, that part. Kind of That's stuff. the part I read. And I went, I'll let Andrew talk about this. <laughs> and so I followed that. I mean, again, it's loosely because I didn't, some of it makes sense and some of it to me doesn't make sense. But yeah, there's people, I guess these kind of people, nerds that do this stuff like code nerds, but they're <sighs> drawing nerds or whatever, organizational nerds. They go through and do it all. I cannot argue with the logic as to why you would need it. Yeah. And I would never presume to say that they didn't put a ridiculous amount of rigor to how they do it. Yeah. Problem is, is it's not a problem. The thing that goes against my sensibilities. The issue for you is. The issue for Bob is. I'm not arguing like if you do it, why you shouldn't do it. I'm not going to say that. I'm just saying why I won't do it. (laughs) It's because a lot of times the way that neuters the way drawings look. Just the aesthetics of it. Like, I don't want to use your tag. I don't want to use your symbol. Yeah. I don't like how mine looks. Mine's, like, cool. Mine yeah. looks good. Mine looks like I actually cared. Like, it's a thing. Not just a, here's a, that's what gets me. I agree. That's some of the things where I've, I've deviated from. Because some of the stuff that they have is, the problem I feel with it is it's, like, it's engineering-ish, if you want to say so. In a sense that it, it's not very artistic. So, it's a thing. And I've borrowed from it and used parts of it. But... I agree with you to a certain extent that it does take some of the life out of the drawings, which is something we didn't even talk about. And I don't even know if we're going to get there. But to me, the drawing set is a, a work of art, right? It is an expression of my abilities to do things. So, I agree with you, right? So I'm not, and I'm not playing devil's advocate. Yeah. But whenever I've advocated that line weight, like just things like line weight's important because it mm-hmm. makes the drawings easier to understand. And they're like, nobody cares about that. You're not getting paid any more money to put the time in to create that. And, yeah, and they're yeah. not going to build it. And I go, you know what? At the very worst, the very worst, I'd say you could look at one of my sets of drawings and go, it looks purposeful. He looks like he cares. So you might be able to read between the lines that I'm going to make sure that you care. Like it's not something I just slap together. Yeah. But you know, I find that I don't know that people really notice it. Like, really notice it unless they feel the same way, if that makes sense. Well, I will say that I have heard many, many times that the drawings, when I say I, I don't mean I, I mean, I mean the places where I've worked, where we've done things your way. I've beaten people into doing it the Bob <laughs> way. It's very, very common for people to say, these are the best looking drawings. This is the best set of documents we've ever had. That's very, very common. And actually I've gotten that too. From contractors on commercial projects. They might just say that like, to everybody. There's no. pandering to us. No, I mean, I, th- I don't know. Because I think, again, because I feel like I put effort into the way these things are organized and how they look and how they read. And again, the clarity of the whole thing as a package. But I think that it does matter. Okay, so let me ask you this. We have a section in here. A whole section left. No. I'm, well, we have section four, which yeah. is the purpose and evolution, which we've kind of been buckshotting in and out of this I know. all the way along. Yeah. But I would say that We've talked about standardization, why it's a good thing, why it's a bad thing. Mm -hmm. We kind of skipped the surface. We're an inch deep on that. Sure. But this isn't an episode on that. We should have one just on that. (laughs) We could get in a fight. I know. We would fight each (laughs) other. We'd agree with each other and be punching each other at the same time. Exactly. But I will say, I want to jump down to the section just because it's the one thing that jumps out at me. Uh Uh-huh. And we have a bullet note and it says, how will all this change in the future? Will the use of drawings disappear soon due to technology? Go. I think so, right? I mean, I feel like we're headed that way. I agree. That at some point we won't be doing drawings anymore. Not in the way that we do them now. I don't even know about that. Because if you think about it, part of my argument for it is we kind of don't use paper anymore. Yeah. 
I mean, yes, it still gets printed some, but like it's not the same. Do you think you have like a holodeck room where you actually can say, what's this wall? And you can pan, move your hand in and out. And it can move you through the wall so you know what's supposed to be made up of it. No, but I think right now I could give somebody my BIM model and they could essentially build the project. Yeah, so you're creating all that information. You're just not actually putting it into a sheet. Into a two-dimensional thing. I'm not converting the the three-dimensional project into a two-dimensional representation. Yeah. Which is what we're doing now, which is what I think will go away. Or could go away. Yeah, no, I, I'm just going to give agree. somebody this model and they're going to be able to go through and do all this stuff, figure it out on their own. Like, I mean, that changes. I think that changes more about what the construction side is doing versus what we're doing. Because right now I'm still going to model it the same and I'm going to, it's all going to be there and I'm going to know that these pieces are the sheetrock and studs. And well, you know what makes that, that interesting that, right? though is, and this is one of the shortcomings, at least from what I understand about Revit is there's a lot of times we don't put a lot of data, like it graphically doesn't show up at, Certain scales. Certain scales. So then you have to like do line work on top of your Revit model to create that clarity to it. I disagree, but okay. Well then, okay, let's burn a minute talking about that. I mean, even when I took a Revit class, they're like, don't bring these sorts of drawings in. So when you do a wall section and you're going to do a detail right here, Mm -hmm. you're doing, you're drawing on top of the model. Essentially an outline that the model is. Yeah. And there might be like key components that are built within it, but when you're coming in and adding like a dash line for vapor barrier or a stempling for drywall hatch or whatever it is. Yeah, okay. You're yeah, doing I'll give you that. Two-dimensional two work, work on top sure. of that. But I try to limit that as much as possible. Well, I think everybody tries to because that's one of the things they say kind of is the killer. That's what destroys Revit models or makes them cumbersome or heavy or slow loading. It's just all this 2D line work that kind of gets put on top of it. But I think that what makes the idea that we would model something and digitally give it to somebody who could then extrapolate out whatever they needed just from our model. I wonder, so how does, like, how does that manifest itself to the contractors? Like, how do they engage this three-dimensional thing in a way that allows them to go on a job site and use it? That's what I don't know in my head. I think it's doable now. They just have to become familiar with the software. So, so in other words, I could give someone a BIM model, a Revit model or whatever, and they have the same software and they Somehow I managed to lock mine down so they can't screw anything up, but that they can go in and extrapolate all the data and pull out whatever and move around the model and look at this and figure that out and go, oh, that's how this is supposed to get built. There's not me going 3D to 2D back to 3D because they've got to build it. Right. No, I understand the getting rid of the 2D step, but at some point you go, how does the person who's actually standing in the field swinging a hammer, wielding a screw gun or... Yeah, that part I don't know. Like it makes you go, maybe they're going to have like visors or goggles or glasses or something. And it's like VR goggles, but they can see through it and it projects what they're supposed to do in space. Maybe. So they can see what it is they're supposed to be doing. I don't know. But that is, that's a future thing. For sure. Yeah. I mean, I think at some point we won't be having planned drawings that we do anymore. And I think that's an interesting concept to think about. Well, nowadays I know that management, leadership, superintendents, they're not engaging with paper drawings the way they used to. Yeah. It's the guy who's actually doing... In the field, the tradesperson, yeah, that's dealing with it. I think so. So that need still exists, but it's the how does that need not exist for that person? That's what hasn't come to be yet. Yeah. Maybe at some point, though, they're just putting on top of what's already there, so I don't know. But yeah. That was a solid ending, too. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah. But, well, but no, I agree with you. You know what today's episode really is? Yes. So we're on the same page. Okay. Today's episode, it really is a beer episode. We should have said that at the beginning. This is just like, hey, we're talking about stuff. Grab a beer. (laughs) 
Yeah. Right. Because this is the kind of conversation two architects would have over beer. Sure. Let's talk about drawing standards. It sounds super boring, but it's not. It's so exciting. Right. If you, yeah. I mean, if you're into it. Because we care. Yeah. All right. If you're listening to this podcast, it's because you care. Because you're a quality citizen. That's what we know. That's right. Right. Okay. So. Only the best for us. Yeah. <laughs> for us. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm sure we could keep going. I'm going to say that I'm ready to move on to. The only reason the podcast exists. The only reason. It's time for this episode's hypothetical question. And are you ready to record what will assuredly make it into the Library of Congress one day? <laughs> That's how good these are getting. Okay. If you say so. I do. I mean, maybe your answers, but definitely not mine. No, I think it's both of us. This is Library of Congress quality stuff. I've just completed writing the next several hypothetical questions when I was writing up the run sheet for today. And I think we're going to come out of the gate strong. Are you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. It's I'm hard. I'm not sure how strong it's going to be. It's hard. We'll see. This one. <laughs> okay, so here's the question, everybody. If you had to be haunted by a presumably friendly ghost for the rest of your life, but could choose which person that ghost would be, who would you choose? I know. You know what? I thought this is going to be so easy. Actually, choosing a person turned out to be like almost impossible. I don't even know. Okay, here's why it's a good hypothetical. I'm going to bail you out a little bit. Okay, do it. Because I can see you struggling over there. Yeah, I, <laughs> it's killing me. So part has to do with, okay, let's define some parameters about this ghost. Do they actually have to be a dead person now? Like, could you just choose, like, that person's ghost? He's still living. <laughs> He's still but, living. but when he dies, yeah. or when they die. The ghost of that person is who, who I would choose. And then the other kind of considerations is, like, how does that ghost manifest themselves? Like, are they however they were when they died? Like, if you said, I want blank. And he died in a terrible crash. Yeah, he fell off. His car fell off a cliff. And Yeah. Do you get that version or them in their idealized version? Right? I hadn't like, even thought about that. Like how they how they see themselves, right? Because yeah. their, their body is a husk. It's gone, right? So they're just, they're a specter. So the way they appear to themselves to you is a manifestation of whatever they want it to be, I would think. You don't have to be like all torn up about it. So I would thinking. assume. I'm going to say that everyone that we're considering as part of today's peak physical condition okay right as they see it for themselves and then here's another consideration could you get them to do stuff like how do you engage or interact and part of this they're always there like they're always that's my there. question they're just doing the play-by-play -play for my life is they're that what there. it is yeah they're there. <laughs> like hey don't do that idiot yeah no one else can see him or hear him yeah fantastic right? and then the other part to that is and that's why i put friendly like maybe you can get them to do stuff for you i don't mean like go get me a coffee that's not really how you want to build long-term relationship with your ghost. But you could say, oh, I think Mary's being a jerk today. And my ghost could go there and like dump her coffee cup. You know, like the little ghost, like pull a drawer out. She's like, why do I keep holding? Like, this drawer keeps coming out. Right. Like you could, you could haunt them. Ah. You could set your ghost to like do On things. somebody else. Yeah. Like they'll do stuff for you. Not like your errands. Right. They're not picking well, up your yeah. laundry. No, no. They, they have to do ghostly things. Haunted things. Yeah. Doesn't help my answer at all. Because I want to choose no one. I want to go nobody. You can't. Here's another one. Male or female. So as I started to answer this question for myself, I go, all right, well, if I got to hang out with like a, a dude ghost, I think I'd want them to be funny. Like I'd want to be entertained. Like they're there all the time. Mm -hmm. I don't want to hang out with a drip. Because the other part is, is if it's a male ghost, unless I just want a bunch of Xbox tips, like what is he going to tell me? I want to be entertained. I want it to be like a guy that connects with me. But then the other part is that also suggests that I'm not going back into history. Let's say I go, I want Abraham Lincoln. 
Abraham Lincoln doesn't know anything about what's going on right now. Yeah. They're like, the internet? What is that? Yeah. Right? He's, he doesn't know. Four score and 18 internets ago. Wait, yeah. what? He doesn't know. So it suggests that you need to get someone fresh. <laughs> Freshly dead. I want a newly dead person. Yeah, newly. that's nice. Yeah. So that's a consideration. Then I go, and not trying to be sexist, but what if you choose a gender opposite of yourself? Mm-hmm. Right? So if you chose a woman. I'm not sure who or how I would choose that because I, part of it is like, you want guidance. You want the bounce stuff off people. The thing is, I kind of would want a woman because, you know, I have a wife. Yeah, it'd be nice to get the insider track. I don't know. That suggests like they're trying to give you like, do this. and That's how you can get into women's mind. But it has to do with like, if I'm looking for like a life partner, because your ghost is kind of a life partner now. I don't know that I want to hang out with a dude for the rest of my life. <laughs> you know what I mean? This is not sexual. This is nothing physical. It's just a, you know, if I'm having partner, yeah, I'm not mentally in a place where I want a male partner for everything, unless they're just entertaining me. Yeah, that's why you get Rodney Dangerfield. I was thinking Bill Murray. Yeah, I think that's my ghost. Interesting, because I know, because I know him. I don't know. <laughs> I know he's funny. I know I enjoy his movies, but he's also quirky. Yeah, he's an interesting guy. Like he just like. Yeah, he does all kinds of random stuff. Yeah, let's just go to a, a this guy. random bar mitzvah. Like, he's an old guy, and he's still up for doing stuff. So I go, oh, I'm going to choose Bill Murray. But again... But that's my choice, so... No, it's not your choice. You didn't choose him. <laughs> You're stealing my choice. I know. But I went, okay, so does it make me a pig if I say, well, I want Christy Turlington or Kate Moss. Some, yeah, I want Bo Derek. Yeah, because I'm like, well, I don't know these people, but I want someone who is interesting. Or someone's like, hey, come on, man, let's, you should go do this. Yeah. I don't want Woodrow Wilson. <laughs> you know, he's going to say you should work more. And yeah. I go, I already work a lot. He's like, well, you could do more. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I need somebody to like who would let me cut me some slack. See, now I'm trying to figure out though that the loophole. So what if I just say I want to pick you? Because the idea would be that I don't have you for very long then because you're not dead yet. So, oh, like, that's the idea. Right. I'll pick somebody that I that's still alive. And so when they die, they could be my ghost. I'll pick somebody that I'm going to be dead long before they actually yeah, be dead. Yeah, that's a good loophole. So I'm going to close it. I'm going to say, no, you can't do that. <laughs> like, I want to be haunted by, I don't know, my grandchild, who's not even born yet, and then it doesn't matter. Okay, so let's say that that's what it is. But in the meantime, someone's got to fill in, and it's just well, going to be someone. Just, that's not it. I found the loophole. I'm filling it in. <laughs> I'm clarifying that. Part of me at first was like, well, I'd like some sort of historical figure. That'd be cool. But then in just what you're talking about, yeah, it would probably not be cool. Because I feel like the ghost would constantly be asking me, what is that thing? What is that thing? What is this? You got What's a phone? What's a, you know, you're like, How's that work? I can't explain the internet, George. It yeah. just doesn't work that way. <laughs> yeah, that would be hard, right? Yeah. So it, this one turned out to be a lot harder than I thought it was going to be. I chose Bill Murray. He's not dead yet. I think I would actually opt for a female person. Yeah. Mainly because I think it would be more interesting. I could have conversations if I have to, if I'm going to be forced to. But then I don't know who that would be. Let's say that you're a male. This is to the listeners. You're a male or a female, and you choose someone of the opposite sex. Mm -hmm. And let's say that you're married, either because you already are or you're going to be at sure. some point. But you have what will undoubtedly be- You have an additional spouse, whatever some, that is. Yeah, yeah, some profound relationship. Because clearly- you don't have a choice. They're going to be there. They're there all the time. They know everything about you. That's going to make having a, a relationship with like a real person hard. 
because you might confide in your version of the ghosty ghost, but not your actual real person. Yeah. But what difference does that make? To me, I think that could be a bonus. I mean, it's like almost a free therapist in a way. <laughs> they can never rat you out because they can't ever tell anybody else. And so then I'm like, eh, maybe that works. I thought about this and I went, if I chose a woman, I don't think I would be married. I don't think you'd go that route. You just have short-term relationships. No, I don't think, I think so. It, I think you would. No. Okay, well, let's throw this out there. All right, sure. And I go, if you had a relationship with somebody who literally knew everything about you, was there 100% of the time, to where you couldn't pretend to be something that you're not, all the gross, disgusting things you do, someone who just, because they have no choice, kind of has to accept you for who you are. I think that would make having a relationship with somebody else really hard because they'll never beat that. They'll never be able to top that. All they're missing is the physical part. And you can solve that a different way. I think anyone who's been in a long-term relationship realizes that the physical part, it's not really what matters after a while. It's important, but people don't stay together and have like meaningful relationship. Because when you're like 60 years old, you're not there for the physical part anymore. Maybe, maybe not though. I mean, I'm not saying it doesn't exist. I'm no, just no, saying no, but it's I mean, I even important. just like, I guess, I don't know. I would say it a little bit differently because I mean, and even if we're not going to talk about like sex stuff, but like having a hug, you know, whatever, interacting with somebody, I think you still need that. I think you do too. And so I feel like that's still a connection. The ghost thing would never be able to provide you. That's why I think you have to choose someone of the same sex. Now, here's the other question for that. You say they know everything about me, but if I'm getting them tomorrow, they don't know the previous whatever about me at all. 46 years. Okay. Well, let's say that you're trapped on a deserted island with somebody so, for 15 years. Yeah. You don't think that person you're trapped is going to know like everything about your entire life at some point? Because, I mean, oh my God. Yeah, but that's based on my interaction with them. I don't know. I'm not going to spill the beat. Like, they're not going to show up to mind. Like, let me tell you about my childhood. Blah, 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 blah. I mean, I feel like. I think eventually you would if they're always there. I don't know. I don't see myself having that much interaction with this entity, even if they're always there. That's interesting. I, I go. So uh, what do you do when you were in seventh grade? Like, if they're just sitting there? I guess. Like, wouldn't you, but I think you, you'd engage them. I would. I don't know if I. Yeah, it just depends. I guess it just depends. Because I guess the aspect of whether or not this becomes a relationship or if it's just this annoyance that you have to have all the time around you. Like, yeah, there's see, two different things, right? Of like, if they're just there and I'm like, well, okay, then I'm going to learn to ignore you and you're always around. Or is it, I'm going to try to have a relationship with this spectral being. Therefore, that's why I'm choosing who I'm choosing. Or I could just choose, I don't know, somebody that was, I don't know, like, that I can't, there's no ability for me to have see, a relationship. See, that's something we're going down. And I guess that's what makes it interesting. Because what you're describing, not only would that never occur to me to do that, I don't think that that's possible. If someone's there, like, just imagine me. Right I know. There, you can't, but I could. I don't think you could. I bet I could. I mean. No, no, no. Let me say it. Okay. If someone was literally standing by you and sitting by you every single moment of your day, you wouldn't act like they didn't exist. You couldn't. You couldn't just go, oh, whatever. I don't think you could. I don't think I could either, but I wouldn't also have to engage with them the entire time. No, I'm, and I'm not suggesting that I'd have to engage somebody all the time either, but I'm thinking that it wouldn't just be pleasantries is kind of what you're advocating. No, and I'm going, if that, that person's but... there all the time, they're going to know a lot of stuff about you. Far more stuff than your physical Significant life. other would be. Yeah. Maybe. The other thing that we didn't get into is like, how hard would it be to not get caught 
like it's like if I go to work, talking to them or and whatever. Bill Murray sitting next to me <laughs> yeah. all day long, and, and he's cracking jokes about whatever's happening around you. Yeah, and you're sitting here just you're like, <laughs> yeah, just giggling. People think you're crazy. Absolutely, they would think you're sure. crazy. So that's part of your security blanket. You'd have to go, hey, Bill, come on. You'd have to figure out how you could engage. But again, them. see, that's why I feel like you'd have to ignore them for some certain time periods. Maybe that's when you send them off on missions. Hey, go, go up in the drawers in the break room. Yeah. He's like, oh, not even funny. But they could say no, and they could just sit right next to you. You could tell them to shut up, and they could say no, and they could start doing that stuff to you. Yeah, that's why I think you have to build a real relationship with these people. I don't know. I don't know. But again, I still don't have an answer. Yeah, because this one turned out to be hard, but I think- I know you think my logic is flawed. No, no, no. I think it's unrealistic. I don't think that it's flawed. <laughs> I just think it'd be really, really hard for someone to say, I'm going to ignore you if you're not there, even though they are. No one else can see them, but you can. And they can talk to you. Yeah, which would probably make it easier if nobody else could see them. Nobody else can see them. I know. Well, that's yeah. what I'm saying. That's what would make it easier. Yeah, I but just turn, sit down, turn on the like, TV and the couch and just sit there and watch TV. And they're just hanging out. I don't care. Whatever. See, that's just it. <laughs> you just couldn't do that. I don't think. Yes, I, don't I could. Think, oh, of course I could. I don't think it's reasonable. All right. Because you, you got to build a relationship. You wouldn't say like, what if they're like, I hate Navy CIS or whatever. Yeah. And you're like, yeah, but I don't. I'm going to watch it. Because you can't change the channel. Then all of a sudden, now your friendly ghost hates you and is doing terrible things like having blood drip from the ceiling on your face. <laughs> but it's, you said it was friendly. You already said it was friendly. No, so but you, you've treated I've made it, it unfriendly. You've made it unfriendly through your hateful behavior. It's not hateful. It's just, I don't know. You're not there. Ignoring people is hateful because it's your choice, right? You're like, it's true. Well, no, I'm not talking to you. This is true. But I still I don't have an answer. I can't even think of anyone that I would want to be around, want to be around me all the time. I know. That's part of what makes it a good question. It's a, it's makes it a terrible question because I'm like, I don't know. And then I keep thinking they have to be dead. Betsy Ross. That's who you're going to get. <laughs> no. See, I don't think she's bringing a lot to the game either. Yeah. Maybe that's the thing. Some like caveman person or something, right? And then they can't do anything. Oh, that'd be irritating. Oh, oh, yeah. And I'd just be like. All right, bro. Thanks. Be like, could you please shut up? <laughs> Me no understand. Uh, uh, uh. Like they would, no, that's terrible. I mean, yours is a pretty good answer, but it's still the same time. I mean, I, I don't know. Your answer is so bad. This one might not make it in the Library of Congress. It's not. I told you. I told you my answer was going to be bad <laughs> for this one. I thought about it for a while, but I just could never come up with anybody that I wanted to be around. Which is fine. I get that. It's hard. I only chose Bill Murray, and he's not even dead. So Yeah, but that's a good choice. It is a good choice. I'm trying to think. Even if I could just throw out a name, a photographer, that would be cool. Which one, though? I don't know. Ansel Adams. Yeah, I was going to say like Ansel Adams or somebody. Julius Schumann. Oh, yeah. He probably has some stories. Right? I mean, it'd be kind of cool. Makes me think of that one Far Side cartoon where it's like two spiders and they're sitting in rocking chairs on a porch mm -hmm. and it has a sign that says the old spider's home mm -hmm. and- one of the spiders is talking. He says, hey, did I ever tell you about that time in 54 when that fly just flew straight into my mouth? And the other spider it has a thought bubble that says only about 500 times. <laughs> yeah. And I go, people like Julius Schumann. I think like you go, I've already heard this story. You've already told me about the time Misandro like kicked over the table. You know, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, you got to bring something. You got to have something new. But I feel like if they're dead, it's going to be that way no matter what. That's why I went with Bill Murray because I'm like, he's got all these personality qualities to him that I'm aware of. Like, he'd still be a jerk. But I go, he's definitely not boring. Yeah, but he's and I still going to have, once they're dead, the stories stop. 
no, no. But he's going to say, let's go do this. Well, that's fine. He's going to say, do you really want to watch NCIS again? Let's go crash that bar mitzvah. Yeah, let's go down and crash a wedding. And I go, I think that would be, I could probably use some of that in my life. Yeah, maybe so. So all the like amazing people. And yeah, you wouldn't really they're want They're all it. off the list. Yes, it's true. Yeah. So you need a goofball. If I could just pick some random. Because again, we're talking about people that are famous. Can I just pick some random person to be like, yeah, that one. Yeah, but that's forever. What if you're like, oh my God, I chose so badly. Well, but you don't know these people anyway. You say Bill Murray, but he could be a, com- not that I think so, because Bill Murray's awesome, but like he could be a complete a-hole. Just be a terrible person in yeah, reality. But the premise is, is that we start off on good terms. Well, still. Only by me ignoring him is he going to turn <laughs> No, but nasty. I'm just saying his whole, again, not that I think it is, but right, his whole thing could be fake. And he's really not that way. He's just some old curmudgeon guy and he's grouchy all the time. And, but you've picked him because you think he's awesome because that's what it looks like. And then it's not. Okay. Or you could choose Keanu Reeves. There's a million stories about him. That would be cool. Good guy. That's a good one. So you got good ones. I don't know why I got bad ones. I think we know why. Because I'm not good at it? Because you didn't think about it. (laughs) (laughs) I did, but then I didn't. Yeah. That makes perfect Andrew logic. I know. I did it, but I didn't do it. That's basically what you just said. I did it, but not to the extent that I should have done it. That's more about it. So we're at that point. This is a wrap. So thank you for being with us today for episode 45, Documenting Architecture. We'd like to thank Building Design and Construction, our media sponsors, for their gracious involvement with the show. If you liked today's episode, please take the next 15 seconds and head over to your favorite podcast listening app and hit that subscribe button so you can get steamy, fresh new episodes automatically downloaded every two weeks. While you're there, please go on whatever podcast listening app you use and leave us a five-star I didn't think they could talk about documenting architecture in a podcast, but gosh darn it, they actually pulled it off rating. Be sure to visit the original lifeofanarchitect.com for show notes, links, info, and photos from this episode. I'm sure we're going to have some drawings. Probably. Be sure to stick around until the very end. We'll pull the curtains back and include some audio from the show that proves that we're regular people. Thanks so much for tuning in. Cheers. Take it easy, everybody. We way over on time. We're at an hour 24. Oh, good God. PP. PP. Oh, I was like, what's PP? No, but um, what's the T stand for? Tuh. Oh, like paint? Paint tuh. Oh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. I was like, yeah. Okay. So if that was me, then I get to choose myself as... When you were 11. The peak physical condition of somebody else? If I'm the ghost, I get to choose my peak yes. physical condition? Or I get to choose anyone's? Like No, no, no. I get to... Hey, you know what? No. I think me, I get to look like Matthew McConaughey or whatever nope. it is. And that's who my ghost looks like, even <laughs> though it's me. <laughs> no. No, it's got to be some version of you along okay. your timeline. I got you. I'm like, maybe like Katie Couric. Weird. That's so weird. If you like today's episode, please take the next 15 seconds and head over to your favorite podcast listening app of choice. Hit that subscribe button. Nah, sorry. Why is it your favorite listening app of choice? Isn't it, isn't it one or the other? It's either your listening app of choice, because presumably that's your favorite. That's why it's your listening app. Okay, fine. I'm just, I'm just asking. I know. I'm just being repetitive. Redundant. <laughs> Over-documenting. I'm not saying any of that. 
was like, what? <laughs> what? I know. You wrote all that for I know, yourself. I know. Well, it's because, you know, it's I wrote it like at three in the morning. 